you're posted at a local park when a young woman runs up to your ambulance. She leads you to the basketball court where you find a tall and slender 18-year-old man sitting on a bench in obvious respiratory distress. Between breaths, he tells you that he felt a sudden sharp pain in his chest while playing and is now having a hard time catching his breath. He also tells you that he had something similar happen about a year ago when he was diagnosed with a spontaneous pneumothorax. You obtain vital signs and they are blood pressure, 124 over 81, heart rate, 110, respiratory rate, 26, and oxygen saturation, 94% on room air. You're listening to 911Cast, the no-nonsense EMS podcast. This episode is brought to you by Madison Programs, a Brooklyn-based medical training and consulting company with over 20 years of experience specializing in emergency medical continuing education and AHA certification classes like CPR and first aid for community members and professionals. For more information, email madisonprograms at aol.com. I'm Scott Topiel, and this week, it's all about tension pneumothorax. A pneumothorax, or collapsed lung, occurs when air accumulates in the pleural space. That's the area between the outside of the lungs and the chest. Normally, there's no air in this space, and it's lined with a thin layer of fluid that helps lubricate the lungs as they expand and contract. This pleural fluid also helps maintain negative pressure in the chest cavity, preventing the lungs from collapsing. If the air entering the pleural space builds up too much, the pressure will completely collapse the lung and shift the contents of the chest toward the opposite side. As this mediastinal shift happens, venous return to the heart decreases and, if not corrected quickly, leads to hypotension, shock, and cardiac arrest. This is the condition known as tension pneumothorax. Tension pneumothorax is a life-threatening emergency that requires quick recognition and treatment. A frequent cause of tension pneumothorax is penetrating or blunt trauma, especially when rib fractures or flail chest is present. Other causes include positive pressure ventilation and spontaneous pneumothorax. It's important to know the difference between a simple and a tension pneumothorax. Both types of pneumothoraces can cause shortness of breath, pleuritic chest pain, and decreased lung sounds. Traditionally, paramedics and EMTs have been taught to look for tracheal deviation, that is movement of the trachea away from the center of the neck to identify a tension pneumo. Unfortunately, the evidence tells us that this isn't a reliable indicator. So how do you know the difference? Simple. If your patient is symptomatic but stable, with a good blood pressure and oxygenation, they likely have only a simple pneumothorax. In that case, monitor them closely, provide high-flow oxygen, and treat any other life threats. On the other hand, if your patient is unstable, with signs of severe respiratory distress or hypoxia, and hemodynamic instability such as hypotension, tachycardia, and signs of shock, then you're probably dealing with a tension pneumothorax, and it's time to take action. Needle thoracostomy is the most common field treatment for tension pneumothorax. This is a rarely performed, but truly life-saving intervention. It's also not the definitive treatment, but a temporary one, intended to buy your patient time to have a chest tube inserted at the hospital. 
Since most paramedics will only perform this a handful of times in their careers, it's really important that you seek out opportunities to practice, even if it's just on a mannequin, so that you can maintain some degree of proficiency and familiarity with the procedure. Needle thoracostomy is performed by inserting a large bore catheter, usually 12 or 14 gauge, through the chest wall on the affected side and into the open space of the pleural cavity. In the case of traumatic cardiac arrest, you'll want to consider bilateral needle tees. Once in place, the built-up air in the chest will vent through the catheter, relieving the pressure and allowing the lung to return to a more normal position and begin reinflating. When successful, the relief is virtually instant, and the patient's vital signs and presentation improve quickly. So here's the part where things get a little... controversial. As I say in most episodes, always follow your local protocols and medical direction. In many places, the approved site for needle T is the second intercostal space at the midclavicular line. That's the spot between the second and the third rib on the front of the chest aligned with the middle of the clavicle. The problem is that needle decompression has a pretty high failure rate. One study that looked at 10 years of pre-hospital data found that up to three-quarters of needle thoracostomy attempts were unsuccessful. In order for this procedure to work, the needle needs to actually enter the pleural space. In most failed cases, the chest wall was too thick, and the needle didn't go far enough to vent air. According to the 10th edition of ATLS, the preferred site for performing needle decompression in an adult is at the 4th or 5th intercostal space, anterior to the mid-axillary line. The reason for inserting your decompression needle in this location is because the chest wall is significantly thinner here than at the traditional anterior chest site. The thinner chest wall increases your likelihood of successful decompression to about 85%. Once you've selected your site, there are varying methods for insertion. One common method is to attach an empty 10 milliliter syringe to the needle and then direct it just over the rib into the intercostal space. In other words, if you're inserting at the fourth intercostal space at the anterior axillary line, you would insert your needle just above the fifth rib. Remember that veins, arteries, and nerves run beneath ribs, and inserting under rather than over the rib increases the chance of injury. Pull back on the plunger of the syringe as you advance the needle. While you're in the chest wall, you should feel resistance, similar to as if you would put your finger over the syringe while trying to pull back. Once you enter the air-filled pleural space, the resistance will disappear and you'll be able to aspirate the syringe. Then, remove the syringe and advance the catheter into the pleural space like you would an IV, disposing of the needle. There are a couple other pitfalls to be aware of. First, correctly locating the intercostal spaces can sometimes be tricky, and the time to find out that you're not really great at counting them probably isn't in the middle of a really bad trauma. Another factor is the length of your decompression needle. You should use one that's at least 8 centimeters, or about 3 and 1 quarter inches long. Since the average chest wall thickness is thought to be around 5.5 centimeters, or around 2.5 inches, shorter needles, like a standard 14-gauge IV catheter, are simply too short to be effective. You want to insert the needle at a perfect 90-degree angle. If you go in at a different angle, you'll increase the distance that the needle needs to travel, likely resulting in failure. People sometimes ask me how they can tell the difference between cardiac tamponade a condition where fluid or blood accumulates inside the space between the heart itself and the fibrous protective sac that surrounds it, known as the pericardium, and tension pneumothorax. 
When the pericardial space fills with enough blood, the heart can't expand and the victim goes into shock and ultimately cardiac arrest. The signs and symptoms and traumatic mechanism of cardiac tamponade are very similar to those of tension pneumothorax. The way to tell the difference is simply by listening to lung sounds. If they're absent or diminished on one side, it's a pneumothorax. If the lungs are equal, it's something else, possibly tamponade. Back on the basketball court, you give your patient high-flow oxygen and place him in a position of comfort on the gurney. As you begin loading him into the back of your rig, he becomes agitated and starts to appear pale and diaphoretic. You recheck his vitals and find that his blood pressure has dropped to 68 over 39. Your partner tells you that he can't hear any lung sounds on the left side. Based on your patient's history, you suspect that he's experienced a spontaneous pneumothorax that has now become a tension pneumothorax. You place a decompression needle at the fourth intercostal space, anterior to the mid-axillary line, and while you don't hear a rush of air, you do notice that your patient's condition improves almost instantly, with his blood pressure now 117 over 79. You transport him to the hospital, and he's discharged five days later. Tension pneumothorax is a life-threatening emergency that requires quick recognition and decisive action on the part of the EMS provider. When lung sounds are absent or diminished on the affected side and the patient is hemodynamically unstable with significant respiratory distress or hypoxia, a tension pneumothorax is likely to blame. Insertion of an adequately sized decompression needle, ideally at the fourth or fifth intercostal space anterior to the mid-axillary line, should provide quick but temporary relief of this condition until a chest tube can be inserted. Be prepared to perform repeat needle thoracostomies during transport as needed if the first one stops working and signs of tension pneumothorax reoccur. That's it for this episode of 911Cast. We'd like to thank our founding sponsor, OneKit, makers of high-quality first aid kits. Check out their products at buyonekit.com. That's B-U-Y-O-N-E, kit.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.